Hi, this is Jessica Dotrieve, and this is Bless Your Heart. Um, I hope you liked that intro song. I downloaded that from Pixabay. It's a royalty-free site, and I thought it was really jazzy and a good way to start the podcast. I am so excited that you are back. Thanks for coming back for round two. And if you're wondering, wait a minute, I thought her name was Jessica Davis. I just recently changed it legally uh, because I got married in October and I finally got around to changing it. You know, it's only been a little bit. All right. So this episode is our episode two and it's titled Dear Returning Staff. First of all, I realized that my very first podcast, I was so nervous that I did not introduce myself really or explain my own background. So I'd like to start by correcting that. So uh, Jessica Davis is my maiden name and now it is Jessica Dotrieve. And I come from Montana. I graduated in 2014 from college and then I immediately got a job teaching theater and I was a theater teacher for seven years and then just this last year I was a sped para and a substitute teacher and uh, ended out with ended the year with a long-term sub job and then I decided, fuck this, I'm out, <laughs> goodbye. So that's my teaching experience. Um, and I wanted to let this podcast be about the staff returning because I am not among you and I, I feel for you. I've already had, um, I've already started getting my teaching nightmares going. I, it happens every year about this time. I start waking up with a cold sweat thinking I'm not prepared. Um, my, my classroom is not ready. I'm going to have so many students. I'm going to uh, struggle to learn their names. And I hope I can set the uh, discipline and the expectations right from the start. And I hope admin will support me. I hope that the kids are, you know, decent, at least for the honeymoon period. I hope that uh, the workload will decrease. I hope that I'm meeting all expectations and parents are going to be supportive and the community is going to be supportive. And that's what my nightmare is about. Mostly um, feeling not supported, not prepared, and letting everyone down. And I imagine a lot of teachers, a lot of um educational staff, school staff, are feeling this right now, the stress of going back. Because we have to deal with being mistreated by kids, parents, admin, your principals, your superintendent, and board members, and the general community. What happens is it comes down to having so many bosses that don't have the knowledge or qualifications to dictate our careers. Teachers are having to please kids, parents, admin, their board of trustees, their community. And how many of those people have education degrees or even teaching experience, right? So for instance, class size, admin get to control that. Admin get to dictate that. There, there's just this huge lack of support for educators and support staff. And I just recently interviewed my friend, 
Kelly, and I asked her if I could, you know, record the the interview and get what she has to say about going back and what she's looking forward to and what she's really not looking forward to or dreading. So this is our interview. This is Kelly Jones with me. And we're talking education. <laughs> Kelly, how long have you been a teacher? Nine years. Holy Jesus. Nine wonderful years. And what are some things that you're looking forward to this next year? Looking forward to meeting a new batch of kids and forward to being back into a routine, especially <laughs> with my kids. Um, what are you nervous or concerned about for this upcoming year? Because I heard that from several people that last year was like the toughest year teaching, hands down. I think it just depends on a lot of different factors, but there were there was a lot of ups and downs last year. You can definitely tell the difference with the kids being out with COVID and the last couple of years having to be on the computer so much and getting to take school off or yeah our biggest challenge last year was attendance attendance um, yeah um kids you know they're told to stay home if they're sick and wow I appreciate that if if you got mm-hmm. the sniffles you better <laughs> be getting your ass to school like right <laughs> my kid has the sniffles and like or like you know or maybe you got a little bit of a headache you get some Tylenol you go to school yeah. like yeah. um anyways we spent my partners and I and my teaching partners and I spent so much time putting together work and packets and work and packets and online work that just never got done yeah for kids who would be out or get quarantined or just miss a day here and then miss another day or we would have just chronic absences where kids were gone two or three times a week Oh and nothing gosh. gets done about it, especially here on the reservation. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's tough. Was discipline an issue? Because I noticed like that was the biggest issue. And I've heard that was a big issue for other teachers, but I wasn't sure if that was... I think it also... I, there, again, there was kind of... You know, there's always going to be kind of your frequent flyers in certain <laughs> groups. I like to call them frequent flyers. <laughs> Kind of like my my champions, um, but uh, sky priority. Yeah, yeah. Uh, flying Delta first class. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. But it also has a lot to do with. I I have I got very blessed to have a really good teaching group and work that worked really well together and had very similar expectations that were set from day one and so I felt really lucky that way yeah I guess so kids want boundaries they want to know it was nice having the structure and having the routines and a lot of them don't get that at home so it was it was really nice having that and having the same you know um, the three of us because there was a three um, teacher rotation in our grade level that they would do um, were there most of the time you know uh, yeah, 
one or two of us got put out with COVID once or twice. But, um, you know, we weren't, like, gone for long periods or coaching activities or Dude. anything like that. So, for the most part, the kids always had their at least one or two of the three teachers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it was, it was good for them, good uh, for us to work together. That's awesome. Um, when you were sick, did you have to do work while you were trying to deal with COVID? And you have kids, so... Like, oh god, were you? It was, it was, uh, it was hard. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I think that the hardest part, the COVID wasn't the thing that really knocked me out. It was, we all got sinus infections a week afterwards. <laughs> that was probably the worst pain I've ever been in in my life. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. And yeah, I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old at the time, and now they're three and six now. But yeah, so all of us were sick, down for the count, and I would just have to email the best type of subplans I could <laughs> um, any given day. And then, you know, my youngest unfortunately would get ear infections afterward. We got COVID twice. Um, she, my youngest also got hand, foot, and mouth, so we had to, we had to stay home another I week for that. <laughs> yeah, there was like a stint oh. of time that you, I would check in with you, and you'd be like, "New update. <laughs> <laughs> we have this <laughs> now." Yeah, yeah I sickness that. 4.0. Oh God. So, but I pushed through it. Kids are resi- resilient and. I guess if it if it were to happen, I was glad it was the group I had. So they did good, and my teaching partners basically saved me more than once. So, like I said, I I was lucky to have who I have teaching with. It, I I don't think everybody can say that. So yeah, sometimes you're out on an island by yourself, like mm-hmm. I was, and oh yeah, yeah. But I'm glad that you have that support because. Being sick and trying to do decent subplans sucks balls, doesn't it? It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? One more thing while mm-hmm. I'm trying to just heal and yeah. be okay. Okay, I really want to thank Kelly for allowing me to interview her and be my guinea pig. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate your support because she, this is her ninth year teaching and she's a damn good teacher. And I hope that she gets all the support, all the love. I hope that all of my teachers do. I, I just, my heart goes out to all of you as you're going back to school this year. So a little bit about what is spurring on this podcast, not just the teaching nightmares. I did some research. It took me, took me about four hours to complete this research, but it was worth it because the more I found out, the more pissed off I got. And I am so excited to share this information with you. So this was, this quote was from uh, Washington Post and it was October 8th of this year. We used to ask teachers only to work long hours, discipline the children parents failed to parent, coach a team, head a committee, 
run the bake sale and carve pieces off a meeker salary to buy school supplies. In the past two years, America has also suggested they carry guns to protect kids, risk their health to go into classrooms of unmasked children at the height of, a, of the pandemic, endure preposterous culture wars over curriculum that question their experience and education, all while withstanding shrill and unfounded accusations of quote-unquote grooming children for sexual purposes. Now, I don't know about my fellow educators, but that is 100% why I went into education. You know, I have to groom children for sexual purposes. And those of you who may not know me, I speak in sarcasm quite a bit. And that was just sarcasm, what you just heard, just to be clear. So the reason why I'm doing this episode is to list out the reasons why staff are stressed out, the reasons why I just quit um, and I did research, I came up with topics and I categorized them. So the first topic that I'm going to discuss, the first reason why your uh, teachers and school staff might be a little stressed right now, kids and parents. NPR said in March that there was a survey done by an American Psychological Association task force from July 2020 to June 2021. It said six in 10 teachers experienced physical violence or verbal aggression during COVID. Overall, 59% of teachers, 58% of administrators, 48% of support staff, and 38% of school psychologists and social workers reported being victimized in some way while at work. Administrators were the ones most often caught in the crossfire. 42% said they experienced this behavior from parents, while 37% said they got it from students. Meanwhile, 33% of teachers reported verbal aggression from students and 29% from parents. I understand that some of you, when you first hear those numbers, might think, oh, teachers don't have to deal with as much as admin has to, and they're just being whiny babies, get over it. But I would like to pause and say that those percentages should be zero. Uh, (laughs) Teachers are literally having to fight to be able to do their jobs. And that's a normal thing right now and that I don't understand how that that is normal. Education Weekly said on August 9th, more than four of every 10 educators said at least one teacher in their district has been physically assaulted or attacked by a student in the past year. And that was by the Education Weekly Research Center. And that was a survey they did. Some educators also noted that managing student behavior is difficult because students often do not face proper consequences after physically assaulting or threatening a staff member. A district leader in Minnesota went as far as to say this is the reason, quote unquote, we are losing a lot of teachers. No shit. (laughs) No shit. Tampa Bay Times said that Florida lawmakers passed laws that will regulate public school teachers and curriculum. They established new rights for parents to control what happens to their children in schools. The effort hasn't just worried educators, it is also disappointing them, because the underlying message they hear is that teachers have become bad people with an agenda to undermine families and abuse children. So that was just one reason why... I am, some of your returning staff might be a little stressed. Another reason, board members. So school board trustees are 
individuals who regulate school districts, admin, teachers, staff, etc. Okay, so you're wondering, okay, how are they qualified? Like, what do they need to have before being voted onto the board? They just need to be a registered voter who lives within the school district borders. And that's it. So uh, the system is inherently flawed. The Missouri Independent said on August 9th, the root cause of the problem is a long-standing overall lack of re- overall lack of respect for teachers and their craft, which is reflected by decades of low pay, hyper scrutiny, and poor working conditions. So people know what the issues are. They're able to identify the problems, but what what are we doing to change them, you know? Another stressor for teachers could be lack of support from the community. And where that stems from is that I understand community members, parents are very busy and it's hard to, you know, keep up on all of your schools, news and stuff like that. But I, I've experienced two different school districts and I have to say that there is a very huge lack of um, community involvement with both of them. And I don't know if any of you are experiencing the same or different, but that's a huge chunk right there. I would tell my students that, who do you think is my boss? You know, and they would, well, the principal. (laughs) And I said, okay, who's his boss? Well, don't know. And I said, the board. And who's their boss? The community. And I don't know if the community understands the power that they have with education. They they need to speak up. They need to um, help out some more instead of just listing issues and criticizing. Be more solution-oriented and find things that could help these issues, these problems, instead of just attacking the way that schools are run. On KHTV in June, they put out an article about Montana leaders meeting to find common goals with their with education. The stakeholders included legislation, local school boards, Board of Public Education, Board of Regents of the Montana University System, Governor Gianforte, and the Office of Public Instruction. So representatives um, came from each of those categories. I thought it was interesting that they didn't list any teachers there. And I, I don't know, maybe it's something that I'm not understanding why you wouldn't want your people that are, you know, on the ground doing this every day, (laughs) seeing the changes as they go throughout the year, why you wouldn't want them in the meeting, but maybe it's something I don't know. Um, I also thought it was interesting that with professional development, I was able to find the requirements for educators with several districts in Montana and several um, national requirements for Um, or excuse me, several state requirements for teachers. But after 90 minutes of searching for (laughs) requirements that admin had to do, I couldn't find them. I finally gave up. So if you know what professional development administrators need to do annually, I would love to know. Please let me know. 
um, because I only know it from a teaching standpoint. And we, we had to do quite a bit of professional development and um, public service hours and, uh, yeah, a lot of other things just to move up on the pay ladder. And, you know, that's the name of the game, understood. But I was just curious what admin needed to do. There's also another issue, a stressor, uh, lack of funding. So I was told multiple times that there's no money for this position. There's no money for this position or there's no money to do this or no money to do this, right? But then you look at other clubs, activities, other staff getting hired and you're wondering, where's that funding coming from? I don't understand. So I would like to do a little bit more research into the funding of schools and how much Montana government puts into these public schools and what they're able to do with that money. Unfortunately, um, a lot of times I witnessed and overheard discussions about how they needed to take money from this program and then use it in this program and will reword it so that we'll be able to get away with it. And it just kind of seems a little shifty. So I would like to know more and I'm going to do a little bit more digging. If you know of anything uh, in that regard, please, please email me. Um, email is jess underscore t davis at hotmail.com. I still have that email address. So it's j-e-s-s underscore t d-a-v-i-s at hotmail.com. And please tell me uh, anything that you might know or any resources where you might point me. Another stressor, school safety. So school health and school shootings, mostly. School health is now a bigger topic since COVID. And honestly, I never thought I would have to make my health political. I was told... Um, that, you know, that's just what teachers do. They have those teacher hearts that they want to help everybody. Um, they would sacrifice themselves for their students, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, that's what's expected. They knew the name of the game when they went into this profession. And I'm just going to call bullshit on that. <laughs> it's not fair. Yes, I have a teaching heart. I, I would do anything for my students. And that that's just who I am. But to be expected to do that because I'm a teacher, that's not really fair. I don't understand that. Uh, KAIT8 um, said on August 12th, since 1970, the Sandy Hook Promise estimates that there have been more than 2,000 school shootings. One of the deadliest was, of course, the 2012 shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary which killed 27 people. But since that day, numbers have grown. Um, of the 2,000 school shootings reported, 948 have taken place since Sandy Hook. In the 2020 and 2021 school year alone, the National Center for Education Statistics found there were 93 shootings at a public or private school. Um, that's, that's shocking. Uh, by the way, if you are interested in more school shooting stats, I recommend the Sandy Hook Promise site. 
Ed Weekly said that 45% of American adults support arming teachers in school. That is a solution, a proposal of a solution. Um, I would definitely go on a limb and say that most of those people that are saying arm the teachers are not educators themselves. Uh, Everything that I have looked into said that the majority of educators do not want to have to be in charge of a gun in their classroom or have a gun on them. Uh, Ted Cruz in May came up with his own solution that schools should just have one door, you know, have a door um, where you just have to monitor one and you can have an armed uh, guard or policeman right there and that'll that'll save that issue. Uh, he definitely got some <laughs> ridicule on that one uh, because case in point, fire alarm. Yeah. So school safety is now political. School health and school shootings are the big topics of school safety. And it's political now. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm curious how others feel about that. Another issue that could stress teachers out, technology in your classroom. So educators are having to develop new rules and regulations that are not always supported by admin, definitely not supported by students, and not always supported by their parents and by the community. So for instance, um, when I was teaching in, um, when I was teaching theater, I would ask my students, you know, uh, I don't allow phones. And they, why do you think it's okay to grab out your phone? Well, so-and-so said that we could have their phones in her class or his class. And like, I'm not (laughs) so-and-so. This is my classroom. Uh, we have this rule and regulation. And then I got curious and I asked them, so do you, when do you find out about your teachers, you know, rules, regulations, expectations, and how do you keep track of them? And the kids just, we had a really good conversation, a really good discussion because they were saying that they, it's hard to keep track of it. It's hard to keep track of this teacher allows food, this teacher doesn't, this teacher will allow it on Friday, this teacher um, allows it only on period three or something. Um, And it's not just food or phones, it's about hats too. And it's just, it's about not being consistent from room to room and space to space. And that, I can understand that 100%. That is confusing. Um, So... (laughs) That was a really interesting conversation. I myself, when I first put up like phone pockets, you know, that students could check in at the beginning of class and then check out, I was told by admin that they wouldn't support this because it's taking personal property and their parents would get mad and admin would you know, side with the parents. I was told that. And that was so frustrating because I was thinking, I'm, I'm trying to uh, decrease my fires in my room, so to say. Uh, I, I'm trying to, like, get ahead of any issues and not allow them to happen. 
I thought, you know, give this a try. <laughs> and kind of funny side note, <laughs> a couple of years later, um, the admin had phone pockets for all the teachers, but it was their brilliant and great idea. <laughs> so I guess it was now allowed. And last but not least, my politics category, the politics topic. Oh my gosh. I googled teachers and I, you know, clicked the news filter and just started reading the article titles and it was so disparaging. It was, it just made me so mad and sad. At the same time, my heart just sank. Uh, and I'm not just talking about nation wide it's local politics too so first local politics some of the issues that face teachers especially non-tenured teachers I have been asking my friends you know how do they feel about certain issues and we talked about tenure and they said oh you mean not being able to talk or speak my mind in three years or, you know, in Montana, it's three years and then you're tenured. So I'm not being able to speak. <laughs> and that's the truth of it. And unfortunately, um, when teachers do get tenured, some are, they, they get lazy, I guess, and they forget their passion and um, they rely on the, the tenure to keep their, their position and it's safe, like a blanket that wraps around them. I don't, I don't know what the fix is on teacher tenure. Um, if you have any suggestions, I would really be interested in discussing them with you. Other local politics include whether or not you grew up in the town, especially if you are teaching in a rural town or city. And in Montana, we have a lot of those. So we're talking... I call them the good old boys club. And if you're a member of the good old boys club, you're set. Your wife, your family, you're set. Everyone is set and golden. You get treated a certain way. Anything you say and do is broadcasted as brilliant, genius, blah, blah, blah. You get in trouble. It gets swept underneath the rug. It's demoralizing. It is so awful because I was never in the good old boys club. I tried. <laughs> I tried to be nice to everybody and, you know, make friends like you do. You make alliances as Dwight Schrute would do, but I never got in. And as such, I, I just felt like an outsider. And I would see other teachers um, move up into d different positions that I really wanted, that I was qualified for. For instance, I have a history degree, and I was told so many times that it's a twofer position. You need to be a coach and a history teacher, and that's what the history position is. <laughs> By the way, um, as far as history goes, it's boggling to me that we only have a semester of world history. <laughs> How can you teach world history in a semester? But anyways... <sighs> I digress. Not getting into the good old boys was a little hard because I would see these applicants from the university that admin were from or their friends who were teacher coaches or more likely coach teachers um, get the position 
of the history job that I really desperately wanted. And I would just be told, it's a twofer. We save this for our coaches. Can you coach? And I said, yeah, what do you need? (laughs) And they wouldn't take me up on that, unfortunately. I mean, maybe it was because of my theatrical background, but uh, who knows? Can never be too sure. Moving on. So I'm leaving local politics, which was basically Montana politics in education, and I'm going into national politics now. I looked up uh, some of the articles on censoring teachers and what they're facing, and these are the some of the articles that I found. The Washington Post put out an article April 5th, and the headline was, Teachers who mention sexuality are quote-unquote grooming kids, conservatives say. So there's a push for teachers to not be talking about sexual education, um, identity, any of that curiosity or anything like that. Uh, We're, you know, molding kids to be this way. I thought that was interesting. NBC put out an article August 11th, just a couple days ago, that teachers say in a new survey, they're being told not to talk about racism and race. How can we teach students the facts and history without talking, (laughs) without being allowed to discuss them? I don't understand. I guess we can trust or hope that students down the line are going to be curious and, you know, Google that shit. I don't know, but how, (laughs) how can we show them and, you know, provide an understanding of our current affairs if we are not allowed to discuss these issues. Another national political issue that is trickling down and affecting teachers and public schools is, of course, the dance of states' rights versus federal government rights. And this has been an age-old dance since the creation of our country, okay? Currently, an issue is Title IX and the federal government's money to public schools and how they can monitor that funding with Title IX. On the Montana Department of Justice website, they give a nice explanation of what Title IX rules are right now. So this was adopted in 2020, and it codified regulations regarding sexual harassment under Title IX into law for the first time, setting forth clear legal obligations for schools to respond to allegations of sexual harassment, a process to resolve allegations, and provide remedies to victims. So right now, the issue is that federal government money can be withheld from schools who are not meeting the Title IX initiatives. And there's, there's a lot of talk about, you know, whether this is right or wrong. Um, the Attorney General um, Knudsen is saying that Biden is, you know, withholding school lunches from the hungry kids, the needy kids, and um, just to push his LGBTQ plus agenda, and that's not right. But in reality, our government is all about checks and balances, right? I mean, you learn this in government, hopefully. And this is just one of those checks and balances. The federal government 
has money that it can give to public schools for school lunches uh, for Title IX, you know, but they can stipulate the rules that schools have to follow to get that money. And I thought this was really interesting. I was talking to my husband, Miles, about this. And I said, what do you think of this? And he said, well, it's exactly what happened with the alcohol age going up to 21 with with states. So same thing. Um, federal government has money for states for road construction and road repair. And they could withhold this money until the states raise their drinking age to 21. And again, that's just about the checks and balances and that's that's part of our government so we'll see what how this pans out i would like to end on you know a positive note a note of hope so right now our secretary of education is miguel cardona and he has uh, started this initiative called raise the bar and bar um is an acronym for bold action results and i looked at this education week article and it was published in june and i'll read a little bit of this it's been a tough couple of years for the teaching profession job satisfaction is down attrition rates begin to be going up and administrators and policymakers are desperate to find ways to staff classrooms with highly qualified and diverse teachers. To address some of the issues, the U.S. Department of Education is seeking an additional $600 million to recruit, support, and retain teachers in its fiscal year 2023 budget request. Education Secretary, Secretary Miguel Cardona said in a June 9th speech that policymakers, including those at the state and local levels, must make significant investments in the teacher workforce. Let's transform our appreciation of teachers to action, Cardona said at Bank Street College of Education, a teacher prep program in New York City. It's not enough to say we've got to lift the profession or focus on teacher appreciation. We really have to start putting policy and funding behind this. That's the bottom line. It's time for action. That gives me a lot of hope for the future of education. All right, I'm going to sign off. But before I do, I'd like to just say, those of you who are returning to school, teachers, supporting staff, bus drivers, custodians, all of you, secretaries, nurses, you are doing a phenomenal job. And I hope you feel supported and appreciated because that's what you deserve. And if you are not feeling that, that's some bullshit. And I hope you stand up for yourself and you stand up for each other. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of Bless Your Heart. I'm Jessica Dotrieve, and if you have any comments, feedback, critiques, please email me at jess underscore tdavis at hotmail.com. That's J-E-S-S underscore tdavis, D-A-V-I-S at hotmail.com. Also, if you're interested in doing an interview or anything, I would really appreciate that. Resources, interviews, feedback, please just email me at jess underscore davis at hotmail.com. Thanks for listening.